welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott. How are you? Good. It's funny. Whenever we start, I always just like wait for you to intro. Maybe next time I'll intro. Say, hey, Scott. I think we know that I'm supposed to be the one who says, hey, James. We're such creatures of habit. First, beyond the hey. Hey, hey, man. You want to get going or what? Maybe. Let's. Yeah. Um, Nice to see you guys. Good to Uh, see you. This episode is also brought to you by Viore. James always likes to rock Viore. I love to rock Viore. The nation should rock Viore. Let's go. Full Um, disclosure, Viore has no idea who we are. Yeah, full disclosure. Wearing their clothes. (laughs) It reminds me of of, uh, an episode. I used to listen to the Fizzle show when I first started out, and they loved LaCroix before anyone knew what what LaCroix was. And I was like, it's brought to you by this flavor of LaCroix. Yeah. We're never sponsored by LaCroix. Or brought to you by this specific hoodie that Bori produces. No. Um, Anyways. Okay. Let's, let's, what we can speak to. Yeah. Hey, uh, thank you so much for the listener questions, you guys. Um, We're going to get back to doing more of the uh, showing versus then telling episodes uh, after this week Uh, and more to come on that uh, as far as what we might be doing for you all as a real personal finance nation uh, to start the new year with ways for you guys to hold each other accountable to achieving your own financial goals. If you're interested in the idea of being a part of a community, that allows you to have access to elements and have access to ask me anything's with, of course, James brought to you by Viore and me brought to you by Waco Surf. Um, just reach out and go to submit a question and say, I'm interested in the community and we'll make sure you get more info as that uh, comes about. We should have something going there before the end of the year, which is super exciting. Yeah. Because we really just want to help you all be financially literate so we can stop the show. That's the whole point. And we think we have like nine months left. Where we are getting ready for that exponential growth just to take us to the remaining 350 million people left in this country. Right. Yeah, there's like but, there's like 10,000 unique downloads a week right now. So clearly we're doing it. We're so getting very close. Aside, if you guys find this to be helpful and interesting in any way for you, please share it with someone else. Because you're the way that we're going to help actually achieve our goal of helping the U.S. be financially literate, share it with other people so that they can grow and expand their own knowledge base and make better financial choices themselves. Yep. That simple. Yep. Very simple. Um, Mm -hmm. We have a question today. We do. This question is from Tanner from Texas. Yes. Do you want me to read it? I'll read it if you don't mind. I'll read it since you read the last one last week's episode when we were recording it, not at the exact same time. Popcorn Scott. Scott's turn to read. Um, Okay. 
so Tanner from Texas, guys, I really appreciate your content and have been listening since you've started. Thank you for listening, Tanner. I like the mindset of educating everyone on personal finance and the depth of your answers. Thank you, sir. My question is, I think we can step away from work when we hit, quote, my number, whether it be at age 49 or 54, knowing that I could pull approximately 3% from my brokerage account until I reach 59 and a half. My goal would be to leave full-time work at age 50 and have my wife and I do part-time work or consulting to cover expenses, carry healthcare without withdrawing from the portfolio until we hit our number. By the way, I think our number is about 3.5 million details below. So I won't go into all the details because we have uh, done that or you can add for color, sir. But yeah, let's dive into this question. And thank you, Tanner, for writing in today. Yeah, absolutely. And anytime you're talking about something as potentially complicated as financial freedom and retirement and all the different details, it can very quickly get overwhelming. It can very quickly get, I just give up because there's so many things I have to know. Why even start? We're going to take the opposite approach. How do we simplify this to its essence to where, yes, we admit there's a lot of things that could change this, but we like to focus on direction over speed many times. If it's less important to get things precise, it's more important to get going in the right direction. And so we'll give a framework of what is Tanner from Texas on track for and what things could potentially change that so he knows what actions to take today. And also to know it, it is nice to have some tangible goal to know, am I doing the right things today to be on track uh, for that in the future? Exactly. Cool. Where do you want to start? Uh, let's start with what we know. So he did give us some details. We we didn't want to go through every last one, but here's what's important to know. He is 40 years old today. Mm-hmm. He wants to be financially free. He said between 49 and 54, we're just going to assume 50 to keep this simple 10 yep. years from today. He also mentioned maybe some part-time work, some cold consulting work or whatever, just to continue some income. We're just going to be super conservative and say, what if you get nothing going forward? Like what's true financial freedom is you could fully live up your investments if you needed to. So we're going to show no income after that. And they have $900,000 in their retirement portfolio today. They're adding $115,000 per year to that, including their employer matches. And they're currently invested in a growth portfolio that's a 90% stocks, 10% bonds. That's what we know today. That's impressive. Don't you think? The 90-10? No, the amount that they're saving every year. Oh, it's like, yeah, I guess it's impressive. I guess anyone can do 90 Um, That is a lot that they're saving. 90-10? Yes. What an amazing portfolio. Impressive. Totally <laughs> impressive. I mean, that's more along. That's impressive. I, I hope they're, I, I really hope you and your wife are proud. Um, I also hope you're not cutting yourselves to the bone and that you're living an amazing life right now. Yeah. We'll probably touch in on that as we go. We will. I think they said they're living on about 80, 85,000. If I look, yes, they spend 85,000 today. The yep. rest goes to taxes and to savings. So that's pretty significant. Here's where we want to start. As I mentioned, this can get super overwhelming of how do I know what income is and inflation and returns? And let's simplify this. The first thing I like to do is once you know what you want to be able to spend, the first thing is we need to adjust that for inflation. So they want to be able to spend, let's call it $95,000 per year today. Does that mean, Scott, that in 10 years from now, $95,000 of income will allow them to do what they want to do? Sadly, no. 
Yeah. Sadly, a gallon of milk will cost more in 10 years than it will today. So we need to inflate that by, let's just inflate it. Now, inflation obviously is a bit more rampant right now than what we're used to the last 20 some years. But let's just go ahead and make an assumption for inflation to have a ballpark number. Let's say 3% inflation shakes out to be the norm again, which it has over time. So I think that's a decent assumption. Yeah, I, I think so. Inflation's been higher, inflation's been lower, but historically it's been a tad bit under that long term. So let's just use 3%. It's a simple number. If yep. inflation is 3% over the next 10 years, and if Tanner wants to live on $95,000 today, what might that cost? How much might they actually need 10 years from now? 128000 128000 So in other words, if you had $128,000 of income 10 years from now, that's the equivalent to the purchasing power that you'd have today with 95000 Yep. So that kind of becomes our target. That's what we're shooting for is how do we have something that generates that level of income? Well, there's also something called taxes. Not only do we have to adjust for inflation, we have to adjust for taxes. So if 95000 is what... He's from Texas, which <laughs> Texas and taxes, it always, anytime I think Texas, you rearrange those words and it's taxes, but there's right. no taxes in Texas. Anyways, Luckily, there are no taxes in Texas, but there's still federal taxes in Texas. There's federal taxes. There's property taxes, but there's federal taxes. There are property taxes, that's true. Yeah. Let's assume there is, just for simple numbers, 15% total taxes that Tanner and his, his wife are paying here. Yep. What does that actually mean for how much income they it need? It means they'll need they'll really need income around 150 grand to have the 128. Exactly. So if they had, and, and we're just making up 15, this is where the actual nuances of planning is is this coming from a brokerage account, from an IRA, from a Roth IRA, from part-time work. Really, you want to run through some software if you want to get really granular with it, but I think that's unnecessary for today. Let's I mean, assume this. This is a safe assumption, especially given like the 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 detail that Tanner from Texas sent in about how he was not going to try to pay taxes. I'm just trying to see how many times I can say T's in a sentence. Um, he specifically spoke to the idea of building a portfolio in a taxable account, yep. which would allow him to go ahead and not have to pay early withdrawals on uh, IRA withdrawals or Roth accounts. So he he gets it. I think this is a decent assumption. He gets it. But if he has 150,000 at that time, after 15% taxes, that equals 128,000. 128,000 at that time equals what $95,000 does today, which is the goal for what they want to spend. Yeah. Answer. There's a lot of math here. And if you don't like doing math, just go hire James or Tanner from Texas is already nailing it himself. There we go. Um, the next thing is we need to apply a withdrawal rate. Yep. So one of the one of the big questions is when you retire, you know how much you need, but the question is how much can my portfolio support? Yeah. And the reality is there's not just a perfect formula for this. So much of investing in retirement planning, <coughs> it's trial and error and people testing things, but there are some foundational papers, research, et cetera, that talks about how much can you sustainably take from a portfolio using historical numbers, knowing that that portfolio would be able to generate that level of income for some period of time. Yep. So there's two of those that we've talked about before on the show. We've talked about, um, there's kind of Bill Bengen did the original work who was actually an engineer by training who became an advisor and got access to a bunch of data and started running the question of, Hey, what's the minimum, what's the withdrawal rate that I could take that for the, would allow the worst case scenario of past markets to be okay for a 30 year withdrawal rate. And that's where that 
4% rule that you'll sometimes hear called came about. It actually was a slightly higher than 4% rule. But if we run a 4% rule on that 150 grand, what's the number turn out to, James? Yeah, what you do is you say, okay, 150,000 represents 4% of what portfolio value. Yep. And what we find is you would need about $3.75 million in a portfolio that could generate $150,000 per year using yep. that math. And the math on that's really quite simple, guys What you and gals. What you do is you take the 150000 and you divide by 4%, and it will give you $3.75 million as your answer. Yeah. And then exactly. from there, there's a, the, you know, someone else came along, two other gentlemen came along, Guyton and Klinger, and they did a more, they said, well, what if you actually made some choices about your money and you put some guardrails around your money and you didn't just have a static 4% withdrawal rate for 30 years? What if instead you uh, you said, hey, um, James, wonderful that you're retiring. If your portfolio value goes above this percentage, uh, you'll choose to cut your withdrawal rate. If this portfolio exceeds this dollar amount, you'll choose to increase your withdrawal rate. So you're basically saying, hey, if markets go really well, I can take more. If markets do really poorly, I'm going to choose to take less for a while and allow it to come back and rebound. That's called kind of Guyton Klinger uh, is the is the paper the two gentlemen who wrote the paper that uh, has been passed around in our our space for a number of years now, uh, and we sometimes call that um, guardrails. So yeah. if we start with guardrails, I think a decent withdrawal rate there. We're saying instead of four percent, we say we can start with five point six percent. If we did that, what would the um, portfolio value need to be? You would need two point six eight million dollars. So you can see here pretty, pretty big differences. And this is why it's less important to get super precise, at least when you're in Tanner's position so many years out and more about, are we moving in the right direction where depending on how you pull money out and what methodology you apply, you might need anywhere from three, from 2.7 million to $3.7 million, which is a pretty big range, but somewhere in that range is going to give you what you would need. Yep. And now let's just do the math for, are we on track? So if we say we have 900K invested now and we're going to save 115,000 a year, um, obviously we're looking, what, 10 years out, I think is probably where 10 we're years going out. with this. Yep. Yep. If we say age 50. So, and we're choosing not to work at the end of this, right? We're, we're saying we have to make so much that we can just choose to walk away from everything. What kind of a growth rate do we need to hit these numbers? Like, what would a, I think a reasonable growth rate would be like, for, for your, if you're listening at home, like if you're invested in the stock markets anywhere between, you know, an 80-20 investment portfolio and 60-40, you can probably say you're somewhere between like the 8% and 6% range. And it usually works out fairly well for you yeah. as a reasonable assumption for back of the napkin type stuff. Yeah. Back of the napkin as a starting point. Let's look at that. If you get 6% per year. So if Tanner gets 6% where he's starting with 900 grand, adding 115,000 per year, if investments grow by 6% over the next decade, he's got about $3.1 million in his portfolio. Not bad. Right in the middle of that range. Uh, if he gets 8% instead, well, there's $3.6 million in the portfolio in 10 years. So as we see there, they're certainly in that range of, yeah, this is probably pretty darn possible, um, especially considering we're not even showing any part-time income or any extra income sources here. We're saying, what if you completely stopped in 10 years did nothing ever again, which I think for most people is probably unrealistic. Yeah. Could you do it? But it's a nice foundation to start from because when people run their own numbers, they say, oh, shoot, I can't really quite do it. I'm not quite on track. Well, what impact would 
working part-time make? And they said, oh, well, what, you know, in Tanner's position, they make 300 grand per year, he said. And, and someone might look at that and say, well, why would I even bother working to earn 45, 50,000 per year? Well, that, that just seems like it wouldn't do anything. Well, when you take into account that he's trying to live on $95,000 per year, 45 to 50,000 a year of part-time work is half of the need. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's cutting your initial withdrawal rates in half, which is huge when you look at what that does to a compounded portfolio value for the next 30, 40 plus years after that. So this is a super simplistic starting point to see, are we are we on track? And for, for Tanner, as we're looking at this, obviously we're just assuming things go right and they continue doing what they're doing. Yeah. Pretty darn good position. No, and then I, you kind of introduce other variables to this as well. Fully agree. And the, the only, the only two, there's two caveats I would add to this. One is to your, to exactly to your point. It sounds like they want to, the Tanner from Texas and his spouse want to keep working once they've even reached financial freedom. They want to keep working part-time. Now he says work part-time so they don't have to withdraw from the portfolios. If that's why they want to keep working, um, I would just perhaps build it to the point so you don't have to keep working. But if you enjoy the work that you do and you want to keep doing some of it, it'll probably allow you to let off the accelerator at work and have more time and energy for your other parts of your life sooner rather than later. Yeah. Right. Like we could probably posit that if they really wanted to, they could probably go totally shift careers, make a whole lot less in income, still save a good chunk of their income, just not 115 of the 300, right. But maybe their income, save their, their percentage savings rate goes down quite a bit, but they love the work that they do. And now they want to do it until they're 70 and they'll be just as happy mm-hmm. on paper. Right. But the question is for life, what's better for them? Yep. And that's a choice that they need to make. Yep. That makes sense. Yep. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Another thing I would say, um, there's a lot of things that don't get included in this kind of overly simplistic way of looking at it, but this doesn't even account for social security at some point. In other words, if we were to actually model this out, it's not like they need a consistent withdrawal rate starting at age 50 mm-hmm. for the rest of their lives. They would need a higher amount for the first call it 15 years until mid sixties when social security kicks in, then they would need a much lesser amount from their portfolio because social security would be funding a lot of their needs. Um, agree more. Same the thing goes for withdrawal rates. That, though, the other side of that, that I want to touch in on briefly, I'd want to understand if, if they were clients of mine, I'd want to know what lights them up. What has them jumping out of bed in the morning? What are the things they're most excited to go do in life? Are they setting themselves up to achieve those things before they reach their financial freedom number? Mm. Because time is not promised. And they're already in a really good position financially. So they already have a lot of resiliency there. And my question would be like, why, if I, my hope is they're not delaying something for when they get to have work be optional. Mm -hmm. Because looking at the numbers, not knowing them big picture, but just looking at the numbers briefly, I'd be, I'd be wanting to understand what do you want your life to really look like and how do we help you get those things as quickly as possible even if you choose to save 10 or fifteen thousand dollars less a year hmm. like live a great life now in yeah. addition to saving for making work optional yeah yeah fully agree i think that's the bigger picture question of are you on track yeah sure you're on track if you do these things based upon what we know and based upon the assumption that you continue to do these things and the and things go okay in the markets and otherwise yeah the bigger picture is the thing that we always talk about is are 
is our ladder leaning against the right thing here? Are we moving in the direction that we want to be moving in? Or could we rewire some of those goals, those priorities, which we don't know Tanner, so we can't speak to, but it's certainly a question we want to throw out there. Exactly. That's where like the three questions we've done an episode on that come in. You know, that's where like looking at your own specific goals and what really matters to you. Are you taking the steps? Obviously, financially, you're hitting a stride to be able to make these goals. You're going to hit this achievement pretty quickly from the looks of things, just with a very broad brushstroke understanding of what's possible, which that framework is super helpful, by the way, guys. Like you can kind of look at it and go like, that seems too simple. It's not because what it does is it simply reveals whether or not you're on target. Mm-hmm. And it helps us understand where do you hone in and why, mm-hmm. right? And that's really what good planning always is. Good planning is looking at what's the big picture, what are the things I need to focus on, and how do I make my next step? That's why we love using elements on the show because it helps give a focus of what are the areas that this particular person should be focusing on. In this instance, we're not even having to use that. We're just going super big picture on growing assets, withdrawal rate, inflation, uh, to age to age to retirement, right? We can see it. You're probably going to hit it. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, really, it's really not that hard to see. So, which is awesome, Tanner. Well, I should say not hard for us to see. This is yep. what we do on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, I think that is it. Unless there's anything else you want to add to uh, Tanner from Texas is with no taxes situation. Tanner from Texas with no taxes, except for property taxes and federal taxes. <laughs> and eventually exactly. social security taxes. Because his portfolios will be too big and he'll have to pay taxes on his social security. At the federal level. At the federal level. Yep, that's right. So, cool. Well, Tanner, thank you for your question. And all of you listening, thank you for your questions. Thank you for your support. Thank you for leaving reviews. Check us out on YouTube. Yes. Any other call to actions I need to call to action? The the only one that I, that really, like our big, hairy, audacious goal, our BHAG is to make the U.S. financially literate. And that only happens by you all sharing this content if you find it valuable. If you don't find it valuable, don't share it, of course. But if you do, please share it with other people so that we can help our nation make better financial choices. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, Scott. Thank you, sir. You have a good day. See you all next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer in a future episode, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there'll be a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for Scott and I to answer on a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.